to Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome, everybody, to episode 122 of Natural MD Radio. Just for you mamas who might be, or dads, anyone who might be listening with little ones in the car, or even slightly older ones that you don't want to have to explain certain things to right now, that's your choice. We are going to have some adult content in this episode. So just want to give you a heads up that if you're in the car and you're listening with your little one in the car seat, this may be one you want to listen to later. Um, So that said, if I were to ask you, listeners, how many women in the United States have a vibrator? Like, I just wonder what numbers you would say, but my guess is the numbers would be pretty far from what the actual reality is. Statistics show that as many as 78% of women actually own a vibrator in the United States. And we also know that women are really struggling with sexual pleasure. Many women have never experienced an orgasm. Many women don't know what they like or how to ask for it. And additionally, a lot of women are struggling with chronic pelvic pain and other issues from endometriosis and other pelvic conditions that can make traditional sex very uncomfortable. And many of those women think that means they can't experience sexual pleasure. For one company, the vibrator and sex toys isn't just about the business of pleasure. It's about helping women find empowerment and getting beyond sexual shame. In fact, the mission of this company is to design well-engineered sex toys to heighten intimacy and to openly empower the sexual experiences of womankind. Vibrators, including those used by this created by this company, Dame Products, also raise also are regularly prescribed by doctors as again quoting the website a drug-free affordable solution to low libido arousal disorders and sexual function issues for those recovering from abuse cancer and more today i am delightedly speaking with alexandra fine ceo of dame products alex is it okay if i call you alex Yeah. Okay, cool. Alex translates the nuances of sexualities into human-friendly toys for sex. A lifelong student of sexual health, Alex has earned her master's in clinical psychology with a concentration in sex therapy from Columbia University. Realizing that her skills would be best put to use making concrete improvements to people's lives, she began developing her own vibrators at home and asking friends to give her their feedback. She was gaining startup experience with an organic shampoo company and decided the time was right to put her passions and her business acumen to use in the world of sex toys. In founding Dame Products, Alexandra Fine intends to start necessary conversations, to listen rather than assume, and to create products that enhance intimacy. Alex, thank you for joining me and welcome. Did you write that or did like that was be- that was amazing. That's my, me. My husband. Very cool. Well, I I wrote the first part and then the part about you came from my husband. He handed it to me today. Maybe it was from my it's well I, feel, I know. Right? I feel good about myself right now. Aww, uh, I love it. It's like when somebody when somebody posts an Instagram post with a quote of mine, and I'm like, "Whoa, I said that. That's said pretty that? good." I've, yeah, like I'm actually a decent, nice, cool person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like, somebody must have edited it and taken it out, taken out a few words. Um, but yeah, I'm so happy to be here. So thank I'm you. I'm so happy to hear and and have you. Here. And I just want listeners to know that we will be talking about some products in this episode. But we're not mixing business and pleasure. This episode is in no way paid for or sponsored. Alex has agreed to join me today. And um, I'm just so thrilled to have her here. So, Alex. All right. Yeah. Your bio says that you've been interested in sexuality for most of your life. And I get that because I actually started my interest in human sexuality when I was six. Um, It was the first time I actually saw um, a, a couple. It was two men. And they were kissing and I was like, wow, that's really different. And I had seen this sign on, I was in Canada, and I had seen this sign, you know, like stapled to a lamppost that said, come to a gay party. And I thought it meant a happy party. And I asked my mom if we could go. And she's like, no, it was like those two men kissing. So for me, it was like a very early cool exposure to um, 
you know, sexuality that wasn't the norm. And then my mom being a feminist, raising two kids as a single mom in the late 60s, she was like very, um, actually quite sexually open. And so my my exposure came early. How did your exposure come early? So when I was six. Oh, it's a six-year-old This is going to be wild. My cool aunt brought me to a party where I met some drag queens. Oh, cool! And cool. they blew my blew my mind. I, I, I mean, first of all, they taught me everything from like literally strutting my stuff and how to how to work a catwalk. So oh like, my gosh. made me feel really like beautiful in my femininity. Um, and I'm like definitely a little bit of a tomboy sometimes. So, um, and then also they answered all of my questions that I had as a six year old. Like, are you a boy or are you a girl? And I went back to show and tell. And explain to my first grade class the difference between being a drag queen or being transgender. Actually, at the time, they had taught me the word transsexual. So I think I also explained. I, I love it. I, I think I went into detail. Um, and they, I got in trouble. Yeah. So Interesting. Yeah, I got in trouble at my school, too, for sharing what I knew. It was a little bit later. It was sixth grade. Um, and I got in trouble, mm-hmm. too. Isn't that interesting? It was interesting. I think that, like, really hooked me. I was like... It was like the question, like, you know, like when you're little, you ask why, like, why, why wasn't I allowed to do that? Why, why not? Why not? And like, nobody gave me a good, good, good reason. And I just kind of like got stuck there. So do you still, do you still like think about that strutting and like that body confidence? A little bit. You know, what's funny though. I would say that from the age of six, from when it happened until when I was 26, when I started this business and had to start telling that story, like, like I have to explain who I am more frequently now um so i think about it more so i don't know if it's accurate but like i do kind of feel like i remember the table and the layout and remembering like that's act- like that's the part i really remember actually um yeah it was like strutting my stuff and like loving it and like getting all this attention and thinking they were amazing and they seemed to think i was amazing and it was really lovely that's amazing okay so fast forward you're in graduate school you're doing human sexuality you're doing clinical <laughs> human sexuality and i want yeah, I wanted to be a therapist. Yeah. So yeah, so I was getting my clinical psychology degree at, at Columbia. And as you were doing your clinical psychology training or practice, was there anything that you were seeing, experiencing, observing about couples or women or people that inspired you to think, okay, something's not clicking here for people's sexual happiness and satisfaction? It just seemed like it had, it was highly correlated to general happiness in life. Um, I knew that women were so much more likely to say that sex wasn't pleasurable or a fulfilling part of their lives. Um, They weren't reporting as many orgasms and that patrol stimulation is a key part of how many women experience intense pleasure. Um, which kind of like led me to creating my first product. So it definitely was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think the biggest thing I was seeing was that like everybody I knew was buying them and nobody was talking about them. And that created a real opportunity in a market. So how did you know everybody was buying them if nobody was talking about it? All my friends were, you know, they were talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I was going to a liberal arts college. That's, you know, from a fairly liberal place so it just seemed really high um and then i started doing some research about these companies and and what they were doing um and what their income statements potentially looked like and that kind of also validated this path for me Um, the trend was there people were wanting it and they were buying it and that can often demonstrate the desire and like something that seems more obvious to me now but maybe not at the time and like i would say to younger entrepreneurs is like yeah trust that you know a trend is happening because you're kind of a part of it you know like i whatever i'm experiencing as i'm growing as i'm getting older more and more women are coming forward to talk more openly about this category more and more women are coming into the industry um so sometimes i don't know so there was something something that i was seeing in the world that the world hadn't seen yet maybe yeah I there's, there's definitely a shift happening. I mean, 
I'm decidedly older than you. I'm 53, and I remember my mom having a vibrator. Sorry, mom, if you're listening to this, I do know that you had one in your drawer next to your bed. But it would be the kind of thing that probably if I asked her about it, she would have told me, but it wouldn't have been the kind of thing that women talked about with each other back then. I mean, people barely could say the word period, let alone clitoris or talk about sexual pleasure. Um, It was very taboo. And um, even now, I think women are really still struggling to get the words out at times. Uh, I think that, like a millennial generation is is more open about it, but even there, a lot of women are still really uncomfortable with it. And, and a lot of um, women are really uncomfortable talking to their doctors about their mm-hmm. sexual health. And statistically, most doctors, even women doctors, don't ask about sexual health. So women are living with not knowing what's normal, not knowing what's not normal, not knowing that they can have pleasure. And then media completely screws with our heads, right? Because it's like, how many women have a vaginal orgasm in two minutes in a movie? Like that just doesn't usually happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's not reality. And yeah, it it's wild. I mean, I think I've even heard stories of, you know, women going through chemo and having early onset menopause and not necessarily being aware and told about it beforehand. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because then like, I, I, I don't know if there's stats on this, but from the, ex- from personal experiences, with pro- uh, my personal experience with prostate cancer, uh, but family, like that was a top concern uh, with sexual functioning. I do think something that's uh, kind of, as we move towards some of my advertising challenges, Something that's really interesting is how we often look at sexual sexual functioning as core part of men's health, but sexual enjoyment and not necessarily as a core functioning of women's health. And I think female anatomy arousal is more subtle and less appreciated, um, but equally as very important. It is. And to one of the things that I've seen in my practice is that women's sexual pleasure is so marginalized in our culture and internalized as women that a lot of times when women come to me as a patient, it's like, even though it's a major thing happening in their life, it's almost like, oh, well, that's the least of my concerns. Like my own pleasure doesn't matter as much as opposed to it being seen as part of like a vital sign of our physical, our hormonal health. And a lot of um, what is also, I think, undervalued in our culture is, as you say, women's sexual response is more subtle. And for men, that sexual response can be pretty much just biologically driven. But for Mm -hmm. women, there are a lot of other factors, sensual. Yes, I'm I'm looking at Alex here and she's like kind of moving her hands. She's like, "Mm -hmm." yeah, yeah, they're like visual stimulation, um, I don't really like using the term foreplay because it sounds like there's foreplay and then there's sex, but like there can also be afterplay, or which after my play. husband and I talk about. But we also <laughs> agree that ultimately that's still really centered around the idea that his penis is going to go into my vagina at some point, which yes. is not necessarily the main act. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So there's so much totally else agree. that goes on. Okay, so you're in grad school. <laughs> Clearly, you, you you know, you've established you come from a liberal background. You have this anti-mame who brought you to this trans party and you've got, you're in a liberal college. Then you go to graduate school and then you're like, yo, mom, dad, or whomever, <laughs> yeah, that's I'm starting that. <laughs> a vibrator company and a sex toys company. How did that all happen? And like, I'm really curious about what your friends and your family said. So I already wanted to be a sex therapist for a long time. So I think it was more in college for me. You know, I worked at Planned Parenthood in St. Louis for a few years. I, when I was in college, I was doing a lot of sexual advocacy work. Um, and I mean, honestly, even from before that, like my parents were not surprised <laughs> at all. There was like, they were like, okay. That makes sense. Uh, I love they're like, that. oh, we're happy it's entrepreneurial and not necessarily like my dad was excited for me to do something more entrepreneurial than because I wanted to be a therapist before. But I think my mom was for as liberal as they if they're listening, for as liberal as they are, my mom was a little bit more like, Well, I think therapy is such a great mom job. You know? Yeah. Um, That's what we do as parents though. We wanna like 
look at look yeah, out for it, right? The wisdom of what you're seeing in mm-hmm. the world, but it's int- I'm so excited to see how I see the world wrong through the lens of my children. Like they're gonna be like, no, that's an assumption, mom, and I'm uh-huh. like, not gonna, like, I'm not gonna know it. Um, I think. Right. It, totally yeah. i promise you if you have kids that happens it's good i'm definitely please no it's, new yorker here as i always say when there's an episode an adult episode it's one of the episodes like yes f-bombs may happen yeah so this is it's actually a new yorker this is actually really funny because um okay this is i was talking i was giving a talk somewhere and one of my daughters was in the, my youngest daughter was in the audience and she was like 16 at the time and I dropped an F-bomb when I was teaching. Like there were no kids in the audience and it was about mm-hmm. women's health. And I, I don't remember what I dropped an F-bomb about. And then I, w- I apologized afterward to, I was like, oh, sorry if that offended anybody. And then when I got off the stage, my daughter came up to me and she was like, mom, you should never apologize. Everybody needs a good fuck once in a while. And I was just like, did my kid just say that to me? <laughs> it's like, well, okay. It was really, it was very funny. Yeah, yeah, totally. It was super funny. That's pretty funny. She's that's, really that's funny. Really great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's like that. Okay. Yeah, uh, so you, so did you have a light bulb moment? Like there were so many directions that you could have gone. Did you have this sort of like series of light bulb moments? Was it more a research? Like I, I have a feeling. Series, yeah. Series of light bulb mo- moments feels accurate. Um, but what one of, one good moment was, so the first product that we sold um, and that we still sell is called Eva. It's a hands-free clitoral vibrator designed to be worn, nestled in between the labia. So it kind of stays in place and provides vibration during penetrative sex. Um, anyway, so the way, one of the first things I did to discover if this concept could work was I took a half dollar coin and wrapped it in some cellophane and put it in between my labia just to see if my labia could hold anything it turns out like your body moves a lot so you actually need something that can change shape with you which Eva does but it stayed in place like enough to encourage me to like keep keep digging uh, this is when you like tell your kids not to put their coins in their mouth because you never know where money's been <laughs> you know I think I think being playful is really important in life and you can make a lot of discoveries by getting a little dirty but I did I did wrap it in cellophane <laughs> And then so that, funny. Was, that, was, that was my cleanliness aspect to it. And then I uh, I was so excited and I ran around my house. Um, actually, my parents' house because my, par- my parents were gone. Um, and to my now husband, I was like, look what I did. This idea is such a good idea. And he just looked at me like I was crazy. That's uh, funny. He was like studying really hard for a big test or something. And yeah. Anyway, so that and then you know, that concept went on. We we launched on Indiegogo, and I raised five hundred and seventy five thousand dollars in forty five days, and sold over six thousand pre order units, which really, of course, um, was the catalyst to the business taking off, and was incredibly validating to have this kind of you know weird, wild idea that can raise some eyebrows. Like I remember yeah. going. Jewish country club and seeing my grandma with all of her ladies all around a, a table and they were like oh Alex what are you doing <laughs> and I was like oh my god this is the first time I'm going to tell all these women what I'm working on I was like I'm, I'm working on a vibrator and it was silence like just complete silence and then one of them who happens to be like my cousin's grandma um was like i'll get one and then they all were like they all broke out laughing and told me they were all gonna get one so oh, man. that's have you seen any of the episodes of that show frankie and grace mm-hmm. it's yeah, the, for, some of it. yeah for those of you who are listening it's lily tomlin and jane fonda and it's um it's a pretty funny show uh, and it, one of the big things that happens in it is they create a vibrator together. And uh, particularly for women who have arthritic wrists, <laughs> like because they're older. So you're, you're talking about the kind of development of this. So you have a partner in this business, Janet, mm-hmm. right? And she's mm-hmm. some... So I, I always, when I think of your company, I'm like, yes, I mean, we know that sexual health happens not just in our genitals, but throughout our body and in our brain. But 
you guys have some brainiac energy going behind this. Talk about like she's an MIT grad. Yeah, MIT for mechanical engineering. Um, yeah, we have uh, some other engineers too on staff who are, are also pretty smart. Um, but what we do is we really develop our products in house based on research that we do, um, and then we have those prototypes test tested by our Dame Labs members. Um, and get feedback and we keep iterating on those concepts until we feel good about them and they go into production. So talk about Dame Labs. I love that you have this and women can join it, right? You can actually sign yeah, up through your website. Men, so men, men, people. Yes, I, I should correct and say yeah. and apologize if I am being gender, um, like not great with my language here and I apologize. So if I say women, I mean all people who identify as women or who would use these products as men too. Yeah, we actually, you know, we often, like in our surveys, we just ask people what genitalia they have. Because for our for our needs, that's actually the, the core, like your gender is is not as important to me right, in designing right. them as much as just what genitalia you have. Um, but we do find that we have people of all genders and all sexes that are a part of Dame Labs. Um, sometimes we're looking for specific things. Um, but yeah, anybody can go to our website and sign up. And if you participate in our surveys, there's also a Facebook group, um, that's really kind of taken off. That's a really just a beautiful space. Um, I, I, I find it to be a really beautiful space. Um, and I'm going to check it out. Yeah, it's great because like we have through conversations, we can make better products. We can understand, you know, it's just great market research, but then it's also great product development. And it also is holding space for, for real people to, to continue to learn. Like it seems to be a real win-win. Um, I think we see a lot of other, another, a lot of other direct to consumer brands also realizing that community engagement and having real conversations directly with your customers is the most impactful way of growing your base. Um, and for us, since it's sex, it's just incredibly powerful. I would think for folks uh, who are participating in Dame Labs, it would be pretty good, what I call me search, where just answering mm -hmm. the questions, especially for folks who haven't explored their sexuality at all, like actually seeing what kinds of questions you're asking might help folks to think about their own bodies and their own pleasure in different ways. Yeah. We've definitely been asking a lot of people about like what makes them feel sexy, what kinds of touches turn them on. So we're definitely doing a lot of like desire and arousal, which I do find that when you're, when you're capable, the better you are at naming and understanding those things and they are always changing in us, um, the, the easier it is to ask for it or to even realize that's what you want. So push your partner in that direction in so many ways. Sometimes I also hear other people say something and I'm like, oh my God, I would like that. You know, I, it, I don't know. It, somebody was telling me about how they like to have sex and then stop having sex and then do clitoral stimulation and then go back to having sex. Mm -hmm. Oh, my body would really respond well to that. Mm -hmm. Like, cause it takes me some, you know, as a lot of women, it takes me time to warm up. I do often have, like, I was just reading about this the other day and it was blowing my mind, which is arousal first desire, where like my body responds first and then my mind kind of follows there versus spontaneous desire, which is kind of like you're walking down the street and all of a sudden you're horny or you see somebody and that makes you feel really horny. Um, yeah, and I think that arousal first desire um, for a lot of women may happen more, for example, around their fertile time, or it may happen right around their premenstrual time when we have that like pelvic engorgement. And then I think if women don't have that, and maybe particularly even not getting aroused much, like they're going through vaginal dryness or perimenopause or their body's changing or there's stress with their partner. There's so many different things that can affect our arousal. And connect. Yes. Oh, it's so huge. I like to, I like to make the joke that the worst thing I ever did for my sex life was start a sex toy company. Really? 
because it's well, so stressful. I mean, it's stressful, right? Like it's definitely um, I, I'm growing my resp- I might just be getting older and having more responsibilities that could have happened in of course a lot of different ways. But yeah, stress definitely it impacts for sure. Like, if I can't like I think sex and one of the really cool things about sex is it's one of our most natural embodied experiences it really beckons us to be in our present bodies in a way that very few other activities do i like to say it's our most natural form of meditation mm-hmm. um you know like probably just sitting and doing nothing is yeah but so many of us live kind of if you could see me i'd be putting my hand like just under my throat and just up to the top of my head like so many of us live between our throat and our head and, yeah. and then for a lot of people, of course, being in their body is really painful for a variety of reasons, trauma, body image issues, and that can have a huge impact on our sexuality too. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I think there's just so, and I, I think that's also why there's just so much to learn from, from sex. I really do think there's something about being connected to your erotic power, whatever that feels like for you, that feels healing i couldn't agree more yeah and and even if it's just by yourself even if it's just by yourself too right i think as women especially if it's by yourself yes because i think as women we're so programmed to expect so much of our satisfaction or our power to come in relationship to other people and we forget that um one that sex and orgasm is just implicitly relaxing for most people or many people, but also that it's something we don't have to wait for someone to give us. No, not at all. I I mean, I'm a huge fan of also after play, like if you didn't get what you wanted, you should not feel bad about taking out of a vibrator. And, you know, I mean, I think you're, I think it's totally valid to also ask your partner to continue to participate Um, I know that through, for me, like uh, through some of my more queer experiences, I've realized how much my heteronormative experiences were just totally about so much more just about their experience because it felt like that was when it started and when it ended. Yeah. Well, and and, and even that's kind of like how we define it. Like before is foreplay. It's not the actual thing. And then after play is after it's not the actual thing as opposed to like, this whole experience is the experience and unless you're deciding otherwise, it's really not done until both people feel like they've gotten what they need. I gotta say, I think I like to challenge couples to have sex fight without doing that one act. A little bit tantric. It's like tantra. Yeah. A little tantric. I mean, and it's, it's so much fun. It really is. It's just like, you know, it's like if you take out your main ingredient, it forces you to be so much more creative with the other things you got in your toolbox. And I I think it leads to great results, though. On the flip side, I'm still human and I still, you know, it's hard to find. Finding the time is, is I think, the hardest part. Yeah. Which I think is part of why we're redefining sex after 50, too, right? Like, millennials are apparently having less sex than a lot of Mm -hmm. other generations at that age and a lot of other people, partly because of devices and distraction and 24-hour work cycles, basically. And then Mm -hmm. people in our 50s and older, especially if we've been in a couple relationship for a long time, but even women by themselves or people by themselves, I think kind of are more confident asking for what we want, know what we want better, Mm -hmm. but can create time a little bit better. Creating that time is so important. It's just setting your boundaries. And like, there's no better, put, like, you really learned your, you can really learn boundaries in sex. So I do think then you realize, okay, I need to ask for what I want and what I need. And, you know, that's how I'm going to get, to get what I want and what I need. And that and can really extend, that confidence it, can really extend to everywhere in your life. It, it's, yeah, I totally agree. So one of the things that I really didn't expect as I started learning more about sex, well, sex toys a little bit more, but vibrators particularly, was actually how many couples are using them. And I think sort of like in the 60s, the 70s, and maybe this has been kind of a cultural misperception, but that the vibrator was sort of like what a woman who didn't get any 
did to get mm-hmm. some. But really, I that's mean, they're being used very differently now. I mean, even women who are doing using them independently, it's not like because they aren't getting it. It's about honoring self-pleasure. But a lot of couples are using them. And your website has quite a few testimonials from hetero partnered people who are saying like it's the guy saying yeah this really transformed our sexual experience together 35 percent of my purchases come from from men um i just i think that there is a lot of partner play um i think it's interesting from the men's perspective so okay here's one I did, I was doing some market research and I asked people, you know, how enjoyable sex was and um, what their interest was in in improving that sex. And what I found was that women were reporting that less sexual pleasure and less interest in improving it. I actually think sometimes a lot of it's the, the partner that's interested in seeing their partner enjoy sex more. And that there is a lot, a lot of women out there who believe that it's not important to them. Yeah, you know, and, and and it's like, who am I to tell them that that it is? But I do feel like that that could really be a social construct and like a a system we've created more so than it is an, a natural occurrence. I'm I'm pretty confident, you know, from what I see as a physician and the work I've done in researching sexual health for my women patients that in general we marginalize our pleasure satisfaction we marginalize our needs and then i think there's still a lot of shame around our bodies and our genitalia we don't know what our bodies are supposed to do and then there's media that confuses the message like if we think that we're supposed to you know have this like crazy orgasm in two minutes with penetrative sex which i think upwards of 90 percent of women don't have penetrative sex orgasms Mm orgasms um it's gonna just sort of say make women say, well, oh, that didn't happen. So there must be something wrong with me. As opposed to knowing mm-hmm. that it takes a little more work. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. What got my attention <laughs> I about- I knew we were going to really- <laughs> What? This is great. I'm learning so much. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, back at ya. So what got my attention about Dame initially was um, hearing that you guys were part of a- kind of bigger picture that was happening with the MTA, the New York Transit Authority. So um, I started reading articles about a gender double standard that happened in advertising and no pun intended came to a head um, when erectile dysfunction ads were allowed in the New York City subway system billboards and that the MTA was permitting images, um, advertising images that were for things like breast augmentation that showed a lot of skin or provocative posters for the museum of sex. Um, the hymns ad, which is an, uh, an erectile uh, dysfunction, uh, pharmaceutical was literally a giant cactus on its side with the tip of the cactus clearly either grew that way or was photoshopped to be unquestionably a giant erect penis and the Romans ad, um, but ads for female pleasure products were being bl- uh, banned. And it wasn't just those products that were banned. Um, Thinks had criticism um, from the MTA. Mm-hmm. And uh, Thinks, for those of you who don't know, it make underwear to be worn during menstruation. They sought to buy space in like 2015. And those mm-hmm. ads fix- uh, featured... Um, a dripping egg yolk and split fruit. Yet Viagra has been advertised for 20 years. Men's health companies don't have to face the same types of challenges that women's health companies do. So, I mean, I actually, I just want to say, I think it was seriously a badass move that you guys took the next step to sue the MTA. So I'm hoping you'll walk us through the issues that got you there, how you made the decision to, I just want to say, oh my God, sue the MTA. And what's the evolution of it? And, you know, what and whatever you're allowed to say legally. I know yeah. sometimes in these situations there are things that can't be said, but yeah. Um, so the I mean, like you summed it up so much. There's been so much double standard that I've experienced by through this company. Um, I've been, you know, I, I don't want to say shocked. Like I, I knew that it, there was a taboo, but I've been 
denied everything from small business loans that say that they will not approve loans for um, products of an indecent sexual nature. And I'm always like, well, I'm just of a decent sexual nature. And I get laughed at as if there's no such thing, which I think is interesting. Yeah, that Um, is interesting. Literally, like, it's like, what's happened to me? Um, I was just like, no, I'm not joking. I'm well, like, and women entrepreneurs already have much more of a difficult time getting loans. Yeah, so well, now you're an indecent woman trying to get a loan. You just hit a big A on your so <laughs> big red A on your shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, so bad. Uh, I mean, I do like a lot of the times. Like if you look at the policies, um. In, in like on some job posting boards, so there are policies that say they won't work for certain kinds of companies. It'll usually be guns and sex toy company, like not sex or a sexual sex product companies or a sexual nature. Um, so like it really can be often looped into, you know, it's, it's as if people think we're harmful for to, to the world. Well, is, or, and violence. I mean, it's being looped in with and, violence. Yeah. Violence. Yeah. I think, the word often is Puritan. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, no, not Puritan. Yeah, I guess. P- no, Purient. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's the word. Um, that there's like a, an unhealthy amount of sex that we are encouraging in the world. Um, and Facebook has honestly been really the most problematic one. Facebook owns Instagram, so it's the same with Instagram. And that has been when I've had access to those platforms and been able to run advertisements there. My business was growing in at a really nice clip. Um, and then those platforms were taken away from me and that's been, that was financially impactful. Um, and then after that, I wanted to run advertisements with the MTA after seeing that they were going to allow female sexual pleasure companies to run advertisements. They were quoted in the New York times saying that they would do that. So I reached out to the MTA to inquire about running advertisements um, I let them know that I was willing to work with them um, and find a solution that was good for both parties. Um, and yeah, it took about six months of going back and forth. They didn't like some of our ad ideas, um, but then they approved some of them. We went out and we made the advertisements. We sent them in, asked for the invoice, and they just stopped responding to us and then sent us a letter saying that they would not. Um, and never would work with any sexually oriented businesses. Meanwhile, they were running advertisements, as you've previously mentioned, for erectile dysfunction, breast augmentation, advertisements that discuss sex toys, advertisements for the Museum of Sex, which is an amazing partner of ours, where you can literally go and buy our toys. Um, But in general, it seemed like the things that they were approving were more oriented toward men's sexual pleasure yeah. or or titillation if you will like the museum of sex but not anything to do with women's reproductive function periods or women's sexual pleasure and as you emphasize this isn't just about not that they would be wrong if it were or like any judgment if it were but this is this is a non-pharmaceutical alternative for women who are actually struggling with problems for some women that are treated with pharmaceuticals that don't necessarily have the best proven safety or, or evidence record either. I mean, it's really interesting how the idea that since something, since it is medical, that that makes it more valid. Like, I think that's a really like, like we're much more comfortable with pills. And again, I do think this is sometimes pills are the right option. Um, but I do think like that is kind of, I can, from what I can sense, like in the MTA's response to us or their lawyer's very short response that we've seen on the news, they do mention something about how HIMSS is an FDA approved drug. But the reason why our vibrators aren't FDA approved has a lot more to do with our social, like our construction and understanding of what is necessary. Like, like we they're not even regulated because it's not a necessary it's not i'm doing air quotes here because we view it as a joke right it's not a necessary medical product because women's sexual health isn't considered a necessary part of our lives that exactly exactly so like our whole campaign was you know pleasure is health like like we should not be encouraging men to feel like they need to have their erections in order to live a healthy life 
and then not subsequent, not on the other hand, give women the options and the knowledge and information on how to enjoy that sex, which is supposed to be pleasurable. I think oftentimes men who are mostly in power think that, come on, everybody knows that sex is supposed to be pleasurable, but that is not true. There are so many women out there who are having painful sex. So many. And you know, what you're saying is actually really, what you're saying is just causing me to have this kind of big internal reaction right now, which is that we are living in a culture that many of us would define accurately as a rape culture. And we are creating a culture in which we are actually endorsing men's erections and Mm -hmm. women's sexual and men's sexual pleasure, but then saying that sex that pleasurable sex for women isn't really okay so how is that you know that's really creepy the mt's credit or not credit you know they did also have some hers ads for the drug addy yeah so that's a pharmaceutical for female sexual arousal for those of you guys who haven't heard of it which is interesting to me too again because i think that like if you look at the history of viagra and the way it's impacted women's health um, it's like we can only understand women's health through the lens of what men are experiencing. Like we literally call Addy often the female Viagra, but the truth is it works nothing like Viagra. It's not a drug you take and then feel arousal immediately after. It's like a daily um, SSRI that you that you take. Well, the other thing that's really interesting is if you look at the history of how female sexual dysfunction became defined as a Mm. diagnostic statistics manual diagnosis, it's really an unusual diagnosis in that the drug was created and then the diagnosis was developed. And when a woman is told that when a woman goes to her doctor, if she does say I'm having what, a doctor would define as sexual dysfunction. I'm not having orgasms. I'm not feeling arousal. I'm not getting lubricated. It's not most of the time, actually, statistically, from a medical perspective, most of the time, it's not a physical dysfunction. It's actually Mm. a circumstantial situation where more stimulation, Mm. more time for arousal, um, conversation, communication, the setting has as much to do with the ability to get aroused outside of, you know, we're talking, you know, outside of necessarily like a medical condition that's happened, like chemotherapy leading to premature menopause or vaginal dryness that's hormonal. Those are medical reasons, but those aren't fixed by that drug either, right? Those are, that's a different hormonal set of circumstances that's happening. Um, So when, um, when Monica and Bill had their white house adventures, my kids were kind of in their like teen and tween years, right? So I remember, and you know, I my kids grew up in a midwife house, so sexuality wasn't a hidden thing. My kids kind of knew what was going on, but it wasn't like we were talking about oral sex and blowjobs around our house all the time. And then all of a sudden, like this is what's in the news, right? We're we're moms driving our kids to, you know, they're they're like soccer practice and all of a sudden we're explaining what's a blowjob you know what what was that on what was that on monica's dress and um so we're answering a lot of questions before we necessarily might have exposed our kids to certain concepts right and um so mike i guess one of the questions i have is as you guys were trying to um move the mta toward having these more sex forward ads like what what were your thoughts about little kids learning, you know, little kids are learning to read, right? And they're in the subway and they're yeah. like, mom, mom, like, what is that? Dad, dad, what is that? Or their babysitter. And some of the ads from some of the companies are actually quite sexually provocative, like that Hymns Cactus ad. So what's the balance, do you think, about sex being a natural, healthy part of life and, you know, being something that we communicate to our kids versus it like literally being in kids' faces on the subway and everywhere else? And, and like, how do you think that that might impact folks? Like what do some of the discretionary boundaries maybe need to be? Um, or yeah. can those ads actually add to more healthy conversations? So that I think that the ads can add to a more healthy conversation. I think that, that it's important 
And research has shown that earlier education, sex education or age appropriate sex education, um, which of course changes every year because kids learn pretty quickly or, you know, a six-year-old is very different than a nine-year-old. Um, it leads to healthier lives and better relationships and usually a, a later, um, I think that in like in Denmark, they have a later age of first sexual encounter. Sexual they do. Most, yeah. Most of the Scandinavian countries have sex ed starting in the very early elementary school years, and they mm-hmm. have lower sexually transmitted infections, lower a higher age to first sexual encounter, almost universal use of condoms and contraception, mm-hmm. and a much lower rate of teen and unwanted pregnancies and a much lower abortion rate actually so it's interesting yeah. like the the those are all better stats in my head i was yes. like don't go with the age because i don't think that that is necessarily healthier you know what i mean like but those other stats are really good yeah and you know we have we live in a culture here which is so against abortion well actually statistically we're not like 70 percent of americans support Roe versus Wade for him but like as a education yeah we would actually prevent the thing that is causing so much controversy and division and women losing access to reproductive care which is this anti-abortion um kind of political climate and yet we're also anti-sex education doesn't really kind of pan out in any countries that actually do early healthy sex education yeah so the so anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Tell people is like I think ultimately having early conversations about sex isn't the problem. The problem is more about what we're saying about sex. I think oftentimes when I literally hear people asking me that question, I'm like, well, how does it make you feel when your kid, if your kid was to ask you that? And the, the truth is, it makes them incredibly uncomfortable. So I think it's also about educating parents to be able to feel comfortable about sexuality and for them to not really believe that sexuality is a bad thing. That's so inappropriate because I think a lot of people have that feeling and just can't get themselves to describe sex to their kids. And also like, how do you, you know, I think as parents, we have to feel comfortable within our boundaries. And if that boundary is like your aunt, you know, really Mm -hmm. exposing you to a really important part of being open-minded about people's sexual practices and behaviors and needs and personalities. But then also if your kid is going to go to school and talk about it and get in trouble, you know, how do we also educate our kids? Like this is something we can talk about, but little Johnny next door, their parents might not want you to talk about this without then reinforcing shame in our own kids. It's complicated. It is complicated. It's very complicated. I mean, like, I don't think there, and I don't think there are right answers to, I think that there's a great book. It's called sex is a funny word that I often recommend as a, as a thing. It's probably again, better for the parents. Um, But uh, you know, it goes to just begins to describe sex and it's hard to even just describe what sex is. And it's not an easy thing. It means a lot of different things to different people. And those are all, all of those things are valid. And even explaining that conceptually, I think is sure is challenging. I also don't have kids yet, so. Well, I, I was just talking with someone recently too, who's a physician, and we were talking about how when kids are more uh, free to have conversations about sex and more able to have their own body autonomy, Uh, And actually, I was talking on my podcast, too, about this with Emily Nagoski, who wrote um, Come As You Are. Come As You Are. Yeah, she is. And um, we were talking about how the statistics show that when kids are more body literate and more sexually literate, they actually have a layer, a little bit more of a layer of protection against sexual predators, which is interesting. They were able to talk about it and say, this is my body. I mean, not that anyone is immune, but it may actually be one of those little protective mechanisms that we can put in place. Yeah. All right. I have a question for you. Well, actually before my, my question, so where are things right now with you guys and the MTA? What's the exact status now? We're in discovery mode. Um, Perfect. Perfect. I I don't, 
yeah so we'll see there's still it's still happening we're still keeping with it um it's something that we're really committed to because we think it's gonna have just a I think it would be one of my proudest moments. You well, know, that's why I like the word discovery when you describe it. I mean, I know what discovery is. Obviously, it's a legal term where you're getting the information, but maybe they would, yeah. maybe discovery can happen on a different level here. Yes. Yes, maybe it can. I really, you know, I think having also more medical professionals talk about vibrators as a valid option um, to improve somebody's well-being and health you know, just helps our case. Well, as you know, obviously I can't say who or, or give any information, but I got to you through one of my patients who I was having this conversation with. And, um, and she said, Oh, you need to talk with somebody I know. <laughs> so that's how, you know, that's how it happened. That's how it happened. So, all right. The global sex toy market, um, I discovered in doing a little research to talk with you today is expected to grow by 9% between 2019, so last year when the statistic was done, and 2026. And 9% might not sound like a very big number, but let's just round this out. That's from about 29 billion US dollars to around 53 billion US dollars. This is a huge growing market. Everything's sexual health right now for some reason. And and I'm really excited because I think that that says something really positive about women um, embracing our sexuality. And it's good news for you too, potentially, because your business might really grow. But as businesses grow and, and things commercialize, um, there's always the risk that the standards get diluted. And, and already there are really no regulatory standards around this industry. Quality can get diluted. And concern for the user and her needs and safety can go down. So what are some of the things that women can do to learn more about the best products for them and how to stay safe and smart in a growing marketplace? Yeah, I mean, I would be careful with the Amazon products. I think that you do... One, I am hoping that the growing market will ultimately lead to just a little bit more regulation. Um, I think that the one thing you really want to look for is a medical grade silicone. Um, if you can't, medical grade silicone is usually more expensive. There are body safe silicones. The term body safe doesn't necessarily mean anything. It's an unregulated term. Um, usually they're using food grade silicone and there's so the it, kind of stuff more, you get in like those silicone spatulas or muffin tins. Exactly. Okay. Or like the ice trays. Yeah. And okay. those are more approved to uh, touch food than they are necessarily to be inserted into your body. But it's it, it's interesting because medical grade is about it being insert like inert, truly inert, like a silicone implant is medical grade. So there's actually, pro you know, there's probably more research to be done. Um on vibe uh, on how long bacteria lives on these products but if you want to be safest medical grade or you can also use a condom if you are looking for something less expensive um you can always put a condom around a product um i would just you know i think having i i think that both supporting a brand that you care about and believe in is great and also when it comes to brand loyalty and accountability that that will be there more. So that's what I recommend. And if women want to explore the products or people listening, this would be women, anyone mm -hmm. ex wants to explore the products that you have, where would you recommend they start? I would go to dameproducts.com. We have a nice little quiz that can help you uh, help us recommend the right products for you. We also have a 60-day money-back guarantee, so you can always try, and if you don't like it, let us know. We definitely want our customers to have pleasurable experiences. And of your products, is there any product in your line? And again, we don't have any affiliate relationship and anything like that going on here. Um, this is just really you know, for your education and, and health and pleasure as listeners. Is there a product that most of your users who are first-time users coming to your site, women would say, yeah, that's the product that I... Yeah. Which product is that? I'd say, 
Um, and just, just so your listeners know, you know, I am hoping that you guys buy, like, you know, I'm definitely (laughs) a little biased. Um, and, um, I think Palm and Finn are our two most popular, you know, beginner friendly vibes. Uh, Finn is really small and it fits on your fingers. So it's really fun for partner play. It's really interactive. Um, Palm is a little bit is a little bit stronger and squishier. Um, it will it bends with your body. It's personally my favorite toy that we make, um, and those are the two most popular. And those toys. are both clitoral stimulation. So for women who have pelvic pain, uh, endometriosis, uterine prolapse, anything like that, that where penetration is painful, those are still really those, great for them. Yeah. Yeah. We just launched our first internal product, which is called ARC. But besides that, all of our other products have been externally focused. And even with our internal product in our customer surveying, what we found was that the, those products being good externally was equal or if not, sometimes considered more important than the main reason why they bought the internal product, which is for the internal stimulation, because they always use it externally first. So I just thought that was interesting. And then uh, for couples, what product do you find that couples, if, if you were Eva, to have a survey? Yeah, Eva and Finn are great couple products. We also make a lubricant that's an all-natural aloe-based lube that's very, very popular. And a body positioning pillow. So it's essentially, it's a sex wedge, which is, if you haven't tried a a sex wedge or even just putting, you know, a pillow underneath your bum, it's wild how much a little angle can change the experience. Um, And And also for a lot of women who have um, penetrative pain, it can, it can, just shifting positions can make a huge difference and a pillow can make a huge difference for that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's such a simple tool. And we made one that doesn't look like a sex wedge. You know, if you left out, it just looks like a normal pillow. We have a lot of people who say they use it for their laptops all the time. That's hilarious. Um, Yeah. But it's kind of like, you know, want to make sex just a normal part of your life. It doesn't need to stand out. It doesn't need its own separate dungeon. It doesn't need the lights off, you know, um, and you Sorry, guys have a blog too called Swell and yeah. you have a lot of information and everything from experiencing sexual pleasure for women with different sized bodies to talking with your partner to pelvic pain. So there's a lot of information that you guys who are listening, you know, if you're interested in this content can go there and learn and start to get comfortable with this conversation for yourself at home and explore a little bit. Yeah, that's right. Check out Swell. Well, Alex, I just want to thank you so much for much more than being on the show, but I feel like there's so much happening in a generation of women who are really able to kind of come into the women's health space and come into you know, kind of a feminist wellness space that, you know, women of like my mother's generation, my generation kind of maybe started to pave the way, but there's something happening now, which is really a groundswell of reclaiming sexuality and entitlement and right to pleasure. And I want to thank you for being part of that and for also having the courage to take on an entire subway system, an entire city to challenge gender bias in advertising. Thank you. And yes, I think there are so many women who have paved the way for us. And it's really, you know, I'm just so, I'm so grateful to to all those who came before. Who are some of your, before we go, just name a couple of your icons. If you had a few icons that you would say, all right. I'm so bad at this. I mean, like right now I'm like super obsessed with Esther Perel because like, I just think what she's talking about is amazing. Yeah, her blog, her uh, podcast is really good. Her podcast is really good. I think like, you know, Bell Hooks or Audrey Lord are fantastic. Um, they're, I just, I'm trying to think like what else have I, oh, I'm, I love, there's this woman, um, I, I'm, I'm naming so many more contemporary people. There are historical people that I think are, amazing as well that I just can't think of at the moment. Like I used to think Kinsey was really cool. I still think Kinsey is really cool and Master and Johnson are 
fascinating. I went to Wash U, which is where they did their research. Yeah. Um, um, but there, a woman named Adrienne Marie Brown, who's actually kind of comes from uh, the social justice world. She wrote a book called Pleasure Activism that I think is uh, amazing. And she also really inspires me. Thank you for that, for sharing. It's always wonderful to have, you know, who inspires the people who inspire us. So thank you for sharing that. And we'll put a bunch of links. We'll put links to the whole MTA story. We'll put links to Dame below. And I hope that this has been, you know, gives you some permission um, to embrace your sexuality, think about your sexual pleasure. And to also those of you who are struggling with sexual health issues or pelvic pain, to give you some options that can bring you release and comfort and and, um, and joy and delight. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Alex, for joining us. And we'll see you next time on Natural MD Radio. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.